Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another off-season edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis with you after a day off, catching up on all things free agency, coaching carousel, and much, much more as the Bengals uh, are in the off-season, which came unexpectedly for the team, which is what I wanted to kind of get to before we even get into all that is, you know, you think about this team, they made the Super Bowl last year, and they came up just short. As a matter of fact, for those who don't know, this is the first AFC Championship game the Bengals have lost. Granted, they've only played in four, including last year. Uh, this is the first one they've lost. You look at all these Bengals teams from really their you know franchise inception. You know when they were founded in 1968. You look at the Ken Anderson era, the Boomer Esiason era. You can even look through those 1990 seasons where the franchise suffered through a lot of futility. Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton and now the Burrow era, and there were so many teams that looked like this might be the year, this might be the year. You know, you think of that 2005 team with Carson Palmer where he tore his ACL on the third play of the game in the wild card round against the Steelers. You think about that 12-4 and Bengals team in 2015 that started 8-0 and and absolutely just threw that game away to the Steelers, a team that almost beat the Broncos, who won the Super Bowl in the regular season, and could have given the Patriots a run for their money if Andy Dalton was healthy. Um, You just look at all those teams, but you look at this team, Andrew, this Bengals team that was one drive away or a couple plays away, however you want to put it, from getting to the Super Bowl. And I think this was the best Bengals team to not make the Super Bowl in franchise history. Because... Like we said, for starters, this is the farthest a non-Bengals, a non-Super Bowl Bengals team has gone in franchise history. First conference championship loss. Every other team that made it to this point made it to the big game and lost. First conference championship game you lose. And then you can even look at like last year's team. I know that last year they made the Super Bowl, so it doesn't count, but they were better everywhere. Uh, they had a better O-line on paper and with the way it materialized up until those injuries. Joe Burrow played the best year of his career. You know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins elevated only further from how well they played last year. Obviously, I think you can kind of put an asterisk with Joe Mixon because he didn't quite follow up on his Pro Bowl numbers, but he still had a good stretch this year, and so did Samaje Peter when he was hurt. Defensively, I mean, the secondary, that nucleus with Vaughn and Jesse and, you know, the corners with Cam Taylor-Britt. Coming in for Cheeto Awuzie, I mean, the future is bright for him. Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson will will get paid in the fu- in the near future, if not now, I think, whether it's with the Bengals or someone else. And you can't say enough about the Bengals' D-line, which, you know, Sam Hubbard had the best year of his career. Trey Hendrickson's playing in the Pro Bowl again. 
they were just loaded on so many fronts. And you might look back at this team even, who knows, five, ten years from now, unless the Bengals obviously make a Super Bowl and win it. But even then, if we look at, you know, kind of like how NFL Films does, like the Lost Rings collection, this is at the top of the list among Bengals teams. Uh, that were good enough to make the Super Bowl, but just didn't make it, I think. I know you just started following the team this year, Andrew, but when you kind of think about all those Bengals teams that couldn't even win a playoff game up up to you know this season, you know we talked about the missed opportunity, the championship window, but does that maybe make this stink so much more for the Bengals, knowing that they were capable of making it to the Super Bowl and maybe even winning the whole thing? Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying um, after the game. I don't know if you want to get into comparing eras and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, with this with this particular era, I mean, it was certainly, you know, I thought they were better, uh, more talented than they were a season ago, just kind of talent-wise, top to bottom from, from you know, the first guy in the roster to the 53rd guy in the roster. Um, you know, I, I think that you look at kind of where they were last year, you know, last year you go into the off season and it's, Oh my God, they need offensive line help. They need this. You know, you can kind of point to a couple different things and say, you know, they need to upgrade here, here, and here this year, you're kind of looking at the off season saying, okay, you're probably going to lose, um, you know, Jesse Bates, but Dax Hill's right there. And, you know, right. you're probably going to lose Jermaine Pratt, but you know, you have right. a team Davis Gaither who you like there, but you know, you've got, you've got options there. The offensive line doesn't need to be rehauled or, um, uh, retooled and overhauled, excuse me, but it, it needs to be kind of over. Uh, it, it, you just kind of need to look at the depth, I think, on, on along the offensive line. So, you know, the the unit in, in terms of one to fifty three was better than they than they were a year ago. But again, anytime you let a Super Bowl chance slip through your fingers, it hurts because you never know when you're going to be able to get back. And the thing is, you know, the caveat to to winning and having such a good team is. You know, you, you have to take advantage of that opportunity because, like, you're not going to get all those guys back next year. That's just the nature of the business. That's any team in the NFL. They are not going to keep everybody, but it's going to be especially true for the Bengals because of Joe Burrow's looming contract extension, which I want to talk more about later this week with you and Mike when we're all back together. But, I mean, let's just go through the list one more time of all the Bengals free agents. Bear with me. It's going to be a lengthy list, um, and I'm probably being repetitive, but this is just to reiterate what we've been talking about with just having to bring back and maybe lose some guys. We start with Jesse Bates, who, like we said uh, on Monday, probably not coming back. Von Bell, I want to get to him later. Uh, he's a free agent. Eli Apple, we'll get to him as well. Hayden Hurst, the only player on offense who was a starter last year who's not on contract. Trey Flowers, Samaj P. Ryan, Brandon Allen, Drew Sample, Clark Harris, Max Sharping, Safety Michael Thomas, Trent Taylor, Jalen Davis, Jermaine Pratt. Again, we talked about him. Seems like he's on his way out. Travion Williams, Cal Adamitis, Clay Johnston, Mitch Wilcox, and Joe Bocci. And I will say Bocci has the distinction of being the only restricted free agent, which means that because he's completed three full seasons with one team, he's free to sign or negotiate with another team, and the Bengals can try to match that offer sheet with whatever another team offers, and he can accept or decline. But getting back to that list, um, you know, just jumping into it, I want to really talk about Von Bell since we talked about Jesse Bates. I would think the likelihood of him staying is higher. You know, they didn't pay too much to get him when he signed from the New Orleans Saints in 2020 when the Saints uh, did not re-sign him, which I think was a mistake on them, but a fortune for the Bengals. Um, he really is an essential part of, I mean, not just the secondary nucleus, but 
defensively as a whole. Like he's just a, a big part of that nucleus. If you're already losing Jesse Bates, you want to keep at least one of your safeties, especially because if Dax Hill takes over, which is essentially eminent at this point, you know, you need someone to coach him up and get him ready for a position like that. Luckily for him, you know, he had a rookie year where he made mistakes, um, especially on special teams. But, you know, even in the secondary, whether they used him in the slot, uh, when they had those injuries with Trey Flowers and Mike Hilton, or whether they had him at safety, he got those reps, but it's going to be a lot faster for him. It's going to be a lot more uh, intense being a starter if that seems to be the case. If he, you know, obviously pending anything weird in training camp, he doesn't win that position. You're going to need someone like Von Bell to coach him up. Um, and even Trey Flowers with that, I would think that's a guy you can bring back on a one-year deal, much like they did with Eli Apple last year. Um, I think Trey Flowers is definitely someone they can and should keep. Um, I even talked to Trey Flowers this week. He said that um, as much as it's the nature of the business, he is open to staying in Cincinnati. He loved his time here. You know, he talked about the fact that in less than two years, he made a Super Bowl, two conference title games. Um, he was a big part of those uh, sub packages when it came to defending tight ends. And he had some really good games down the stretch against the Buccaneers in the playoffs. Um, even I think, yeah, against Mark Andrews in the playoffs or no, he did not play in that game cause he was hurt, but, um, against Buffalo, at least, you know, he, he played a big role in going against Dawson Knox. So, you know, or wait, did he play? No, I'm actually losing my mind. He didn't play against Buffalo. Did he, he came back for the, uh, flowers, no, he did not. He did not. He did I'm not. losing my mind. It was Dax Hill who played in that game, which is good. But, yeah, he, he played against Travis Kelsey. He has experience. He did well in Seattle. Um, that's a good veteran piece that so, is someone that you should sneak on there. Um, so when you kind of look at those two, Von Bell, Trey Flowers, you know, what's the likelihood you think of them coming back and how important is it for the Bengals to keep guys like that? Yeah, I, I think Vaughn, uh, you know, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't come back. Um, you know, I think with, with Dax taking over, you kind of need somebody in the secondary who's been there, who's a veteran, who can kind of, you know, patrol things from, from that point of view. Um, your, your, your corners get a little interesting. Um, Cam Taylor Britt will be here. He'll be one of your starters. Uh, Cheeto, you know, you, you, you talked to him this week and, and you didn't really get a good sense of when he'll be healthy. Um, Obviously, that matters, you know, because he he tore his ACL on Halloween night. So if he's going to be back for, you know, week three, let's say week six, whatever, you know, depending on when he's going to return, um, that uh, that that matters. That's significant uh, for for kind of what you're going to do. So I think you need to wait for a medical evaluation on Cheeto to try and get a better idea. But assuming that you're going to be able to get him back, you're going to have Cheeto and Cam Taylor Britt is your one and two. Um, Mike Hilton will be your, your nickel. Um, then it, then it gets a little interesting because those are, those are three right there. You get Cheeto, Cam and Mike, uh, you have Alan George there. There's four. Uh, I don't believe Alan George is free agent. So there's four. He's not, uh, he's not. So there's four. Then, then, then you're, then you're talking about, you know, do you want to bring in a rookie? Um, you know, do you think you can, you know, get Jalen Davis back for cheap? Because, you know, they, they certainly like Jalen Davis as, as kind of a backup to Mike Hilton in that, uh, in that slot nickel role. Um, so Jalen Davis could be there. Uh, it depends what you, what you think you get in free agency or the draft. Same with Trey Flowers. Um, you like that, like having a guy of that size, uh, in your secondary, but it just six depends, foot three, you know, if, tallest yeah, corner in the just, NFL. 
if you can get some size in your secondary like that, you know, I think that uh, you don't hate having that against tight ends. Um, but as some of this is going to come down to money. Um, you know, it depends what uh, it depends what you're going to do with with your free agents that you have. It depends what Vaughn comes in at. Uh, it depends, you know, do you want to re-sign Eli? Does, like, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, kind of come into this. But Cam, Cheeto, and Mike feel like your your first three corners, your, your, your week one starters, assuming health. And then after that, it's kind of a question of do you want to allocate, you know, veteran money to guys who are going to play as your, your depth corners? So do you see a possibility where they keep Jalen Davis and Trey Flowers? Because both of them play the nickel. So do you think they keep both of them to have that yeah, much I mean, depth? I, yeah, I, I could see year? it because yeah, Trey plays outside too. Um, you know, you could you could kind of move him around and, you know, put him on tight ends. I th- you know, they obviously like to do that. So, yeah, I could absolutely, absolutely see both of them. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if all of them are back, and that you know includes Eli. You know, I think you know, you can you can bring back Jalen and Trey for for relatively cheap, but for for Eli, you know, I I wonder if there's not going to be a frank conversation where you know you want to you want to give Cam Taylor Burt reps and Cheeto's going to be back, and you know Eli's kind of relegated to a reserve role. I wonder if there's not a frank conversation of hey, you know we're just going to have to play some of these other guys and we're not going to be able to bring you back at the, at the money that you would want. That is a very interesting situation because, you know, he signed, uh, I believe it was a three and a half million dollar contract last year um, in the off season. So they kept him for another year. It really just comes down to two things. You know, he's going to be 28. So he's closer to 30 at this point. Um, And then we can't overlook the elephant in the room. And I think this is actually something that we can joke about, but this is serious. Like, his trash talk on social media, the way he uses his Twitter, it's a distraction. Um, that doesn't change the way his players, his, I mean, his teammates view him. I mean, Cheeto has talked highly of him. Trey, Mike, they all love him. It doesn't affect the locker room. But, you know, if you're Zach Taylor, if you're the front office, like, you got to understand, like, this guy is – I'm not going to use the word toxic, especially with a situation like this. Like, I don't want to get into a word like that, but – I mean, you look at how many bridges he burned in New York, New Orleans, even Carolina. He played two games there, and he didn't leave that team on the best of terms. The good thing in this situation is he's been able to separate the social media from the locker room because it has not affected his relationship in the locker room. The players have made that known. I don't know how Zach Taylor feels about that. Lou Rumo has definitely said that Eli is one of his favorites, so it hasn't affected his relationship with him. I just wonder, though, if... It comes down to, you know, whether they want to sign him again, give him a reserve role, like you said. I wonder how much that conversation plays into, you know, you got to chill out with the trolling. You got to chill out with the social media. You got to chill out with just all these things. But I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think, and this is where I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, after the game in Kansas City during locker room cleanout. you know, he had a smile on his face. He was much more soft-spoken. Like, it felt like I was talking to – an Eli who wasn't so full of bravado and I'm in your face, you know, rah, rah, rah kind of, you know, attitude. And I think it's a reality check for him. Like he knows that this is real. This is a business. And like, if he wants to get a contract either with Cincinnati or really any other team in the league, that's going to be a big thing because again, like he's already burned bridges with three teams and I don't see him burning a bridge with the Bengals. That's not going to happen. 
But at the same time, like if the Bengals want to relegate him to a reserve role and he doesn't want that, and he wants to maybe go to another team where he can start and he can get reps, he's going to have to check that because they're going to ask him, like, you know, why should we sign you even though you've said this and you've said this and you've said this? Like he's attacked other players. He's attacked other teams. And they're going to be like, you know, remember when you said this on Twitter? Why should we give you a chance? Like, and I think he realized, like, yeah, it's time to chill out. And so uh, that was kind of a long tangent. But, I mean, do you see him coming back to Cincinnati? Like, like do you see him being in that secondary next year? Uh, I mean, honestly, no, not in a reserve role. I just think that, you know, in, in terms of allocating resources, you want to you wanna give some of your shine to your younger guys who are going to be a little bit cheaper for you, especially as this team kind of transitions into a Burrow extension era. Um, cause Burrow is like not going to be cheap forever. Um, so you, you've got Cam Taylor Britt, uh, who I, who obviously I think got a lot better as the season went along, you know, he started out in Cleveland and, you know, there was obviously some rough patches and, um, you know, they kind of had him on the, um, on the, on the Dax Hill, uh, kind of trajectory, I think, where they kind of looked at this year and went, okay, you know, Eli and, and, um, uh, Eli and Cheeto are going to be our one and two and we'll kind of work, work cam along. And then all of a sudden, well, you got to play. So I, I think that you like that. You like Cheeto there. Cheeto was obviously playing really, really well, um, before he got injured. Mike Hilton's not coming off the field, uh, except for, I guess when you play a significant running team. Um, but I mean, are you going to pay Eli Apple, you know, are you going to pay him to make, um, or I guess to say uh, to to play a role that maybe he would get overpaid for, uh, and I don't mean Eli Apple getting overpaid specifically. Uh, he didn't make that much this year. Uh, his cap hit was only just under four million dollars. So you know it's not like you're allocating a ton of resources to that. But you know if you could if you could if if you think you can get away with bringing in a fourth round rookie or whatever it is and kind of bringing him along. If you bring back Jalen, you bring back Trey, um, you, you know, th- there's, there's your guys right there. Uh, then you bring in a rookie a little bit cheaper than Eli. You're starting to save some dollars there. I wonder if that's not the case. And, you know, truthfully for Eli, I wonder if, if he doesn't look at this situation and kind of see the writing on the wall. Uh, Jesse Bates certainly saw the writing on the wall. We talked about that ad nauseum the other day. Wonder if Eli doesn't see the same thing where, you know, you kind of look at it and say, okay, they want Cam and Cheeto to be their one and two. I'm going to have to be a reserve player. Does he want that? I don't know. So it, uh, I don't know. there's a lot of factors that go into it. And especially the big thing is, like, do other teams want him? Like, after how he's played the last two years, and not that he's played terrible. Like, I actually think he outplayed his contract this year, but is it good enough for another team to want to sign him even for cheap? You know, I don't know. Like, and again, you have to consider just the social media and the trolling and if they want to put up with that and, you know, his locker room presence. But when we come back, we're going to shift to the other side of the ball as we talk more offensive free agency positions as we've been talking about the Bengals secondary and big role players on defense. Plus, we're going to get into uh, an extension of the coaching carousel as another big name Bengals coach is being considered for another big job. We'll tell you what that is and what that means right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on this off-season edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. So to kind of tally off the list, we've talked about Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Eli Apple, Trey Flowers, Jalen Davis. Um, you know, basically your main secondary guys on defense, which is a big part of that core, especially with the first two names I mentioned. 
offensively, not too much to worry about, even in free agency, because like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the only player not on contract on offense who was a starter is tight end Hayden Hurst. Now, with Hayden Hurst, I've talked to him about this multiple times. I think where this really came out the most was after the Buffalo game. And he said at this time last year, when the Bengals made their Super Bowl run, and he was in his offseason with the Falcons at the time, when he was a free agent, he was in Florida watching, saying, you know, I'd love to be a part of an offense like that. And his dreams came true. Both sides got what they wanted. He came to Cincinnati. Um, other than the three games he missed with a calf injury, he played great. He, he's played some of the best football of his career. He's been the happiest he's been in his career. Um, and he's even said, like, this is, you know, the best I've felt in a long time. He even said, I remember after the Dolphins game, when he scored his first touchdown as a Bengal, he said, I feel like I died and went to heaven. And I think he felt even more of that when the Bengals made that postseason run, which is the farthest he's ever made in his career. You know, he's been in the playoffs before with the Ravens, but, you know, never made it this far like he did with the Bengals. I think the Bengals do try to keep him. And I think Hayden Hurst absolutely stays in Cincinnati. Um, You know, he was paid what? I believe he was paid $3.5 million this year. Um, He would be a cap hit of $6 million. I think that's what his cap uh, salary is right now. I think the Bengals look at what he did. They look at how well he is as a blocker, his passion to be here, his desire to be here. Um, I think simply put, even with the Burrow contract extension era that you mentioned, I think Hayden Hurst is someone you, you want to keep and I think you have to keep. I mean, you, you want to keep him for sure. Um, you know, I, I they're, the Bengals have shown in their history that they're not particularly afraid of of bringing in tight ends early in the draft. Um, that, Drew you know, Sample is a second-round pick. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I was going back even farther. You think of a, uh, a Tyler Eifert. Um, you know, you, you can kind of go down Jermaine the line. Gresham. Yeah, right. That was – I was thinking I was – Gresham's – I forgot what his first name for a sec. Um, yeah, played at Yeah, Gresham, Gresham was a first-round pick. Like, this team historically uh, ha- has not really been afraid to – to take tight ends early. I personally, I think a tight end in the first round, two rounds, maybe even three rounds would probably be a misallocation of resources. Um, I agree. You've got, you've got such talented receivers already. Um, now I, I get it. Um, your three tight ends, Drew Sample, uh, obviously coming off an injury, Hayden Hurst and uh, Mitchell Wilcox are all free agents to varying yeah. degree. Uh, Mitchell Wilcox is an uh, exclusive rights free agent. Um, so that's a little bit different than just being a, a typical free agent. But, you know, I think what uh, I, I think y- you typically don't need to look at tight end as, as a position um, of of great importance, especially for an offense like this, especially if you have the receivers that this unit does. So to me, I you know, I Hayden Hurst didn't make a ton of money this year. His cap hit was only three point four. Um you know, not not really breaking the bank by any means. Um, you know, he has said, you know, he, you know, he's, we, I've talked to him before, and he said, you know, he he knows he's not he's not asking to be a number one receiver in, in any offense. He just wants a shot, wants to be able to show what he can do. And you know, I think he was pretty happy here. I don't know if he'll get another kind of short term deal, another you know, not in. I, I guess maybe lack of stability is is kind of a problem there, but. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if that's not the course you go and you just say, you know what, we're going to run this back. You know, we liked what Hayden gave us. Um, 
you, you can kind of work around the edges there. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if Hayden's number is not ridiculous, I, I would certainly kind of – I would certainly see a, a scenario where he comes back. And I do want to correct myself. So, like I said, um, the cap was hit just about $3.5 million with what he made this year. His uh, valuation is $6 million. That's what I meant to say. I mentioned $6 million of a cap hit. That's his uh, cap evaluation according to overthecap.com. So if the Bengals were to come to an agreement, it'd be somewhere in that ballpark. So that would be the hit later, assuming that's what they sign him for if you know they do sign him back. But yeah, that's his evaluation. It's basically just under double what he made this year. Um, I think with Sample, that's that's going to be a tough conversation because, you know, he only played a game and a half this year um, until he went on IR with a back injury. Um, he was injured last year as well, um, and he was part. Of, he was part of that playoff run. He even started in the Super Bowl because CJ Uzama, you know, was injured the week, two weeks before that. So they didn't start out with Uzama in that Super Bowl game. So, you know, um, he's done well. He was a high draft pick, but it's a matter of do they think even with the injuries he's had, is it worth extending him? Is it worth keeping him? That's an interesting question. But I do agree with what you said, though. I don't think it's worth using a tight end for first, second round draft capital. If you want to go later in the draft, that's different. But like, I only say this because obviously you've seen people talk about Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, who is basically the best tight end in the draft right now, in the draft class. And of course, the big reason why is because he played at Covington Catholic High School in Park Hills, Kentucky, right across you know the river from Paycor Stadium. So he's a local kid. He won a state championship uh, in high school in Kentucky with Covcath. He was a winner at Notre Dame. But at the same time, as amazing as Michael Mayer is, and as much as I actually think he'd do great in the Bengals system, I just don't think it's worth the draft capital. I think in the first, second round, and maybe I'm getting a little bit too ahead of myself because the draft is you know over two months away, but I'd say maybe you focus more on getting a corner to add depth, assuming you don't bring back Eli Apple. I know you said fourth round, but I mean there's some really good first, second round talent you could go after if you want, or if you want to push that later in the draft, you know you can maybe get an offensive lineman for depth. On top of the fact that Jonah Williams is going into his fifth year option, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, with the way things have been, he might not stick around. So maybe you you get someone, you add some depth, groom them, add some depth, groom them early, and then you know if you part ways with Jonah Williams, that's your guy right there. Again, got ahead of myself there, but yeah, I agree. I don't think you want to use draft capital on a tight end. And I know this is going to hurt a lot of Bengals fans' feelings, but again, I don't know that you want to go that far for Michael Mayer, especially when you have Jamar Chase and you have T. Higgins, who could also be due for an extension, and we'll talk about that later this week. And like we said, I, you coined it. We're in the Joe Burrow extension era. See, there's the Joe Burrow era and the Joe Burrow extension era. We just went through the Joe Burrow era. We're going into the extension era. So thank you for coining that. I'm going to give you uh, credit for that. Um, and then just one other name I wanted to look at. Um, and actually, well, speaking of uh, offensive linemen, that was going to lead to my next one, which is Max Sharping. They picked him up off waivers from the Houston Texans in the offseason. He didn't play until uh, he came in for Lyle Collins in the New England game when Collins went down. He ended up playing even more reps when Alex Kappa went down, so he played throughout the playoffs. I think he had a great game against Buffalo. He did decently against the Ravens, but... That Kansas City game was rough. I mean, and it wasn't just him. I mean, there's a reason why Burrow got sacked six times. Um, a lot of that was also on Cordell Voston and Hakeem Adeniji. But 
I mean, is Sharp being a guy that you stick around with, or do you just let him go and just try to sign another piece through free agency or maybe go for a tackle in the draft like we talked about? Well, I mean, it, it all depends on money. I, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I, they certainly liked what, what Sharping kind of gave them, that veteran presence veteran presence along the line. Uh, I do think you need a swing tackle um, in, in this year's draft. I think they need to draft a tackle with some semblance of draft capital or invest in one in free agency because Jonah Williams and Leo Collins, we obviously saw both of them get hurt towards the end of the year. Um you had Jackson Carmen there. I don't know if you want to make your make your living with him as your you know your kind of full time left tackle. So you need somebody there um, on the interior. Like I said, it just comes down to money because you've got Volson, you've got Karras, you've got Kappa. Uh, you feel pretty good about those three interior guys. Yeah, but, they're, not, they're not going anywhere. They're you know, after around. that, you know, you got Trey Hill as a backup interior lineman. Uh, you got Sharping there. Uh, Denigy there, you, you've got a couple different options. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to upgrade there, um, you know, try to add a piece or two in the draft or something like that where, you know, you you kind of bolster that interior. But with Sharping, I think, you know, it depends. Is is he going to get a chance to to kind of go to for go to a place where you can compete for a start uh, starting spot, you can compete for a role, or is he going to, you know, kind of look at the market and say, okay, you know, Cincinnati wants me back and, you know, I'm willing to, to come back for another year. I, it, it just, again, it, I think it all comes down to, you know, what they're willing to pay these guys and, um, you know, kind of what, what those guys are willing to take. And of course, uh, you know, he was a one-time starter in Houston. He actually did start even, it was his what second season when they played at Kansas City and, you know, Arrowhead Stadium. Like he actually played in that game. I looked at it. He did start that game. So that game he started against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. That wasn't his first time playing at Arrowhead. So he's a veteran. Um, he's played in big games. Obviously, the performances are questionable, but he's been in those situations. And with Adenogy, too, it's worth noting he's going into the last year of his rookie deal. So Adenogy will be a free agent at the end of 2023. So you have to also prepare for that. So I think, again, with Williams on the fifth-year option and Adenogy ending up with his last season, yeah, I think you almost have to really plan for getting an offensive tackle because it's a question of do they want to stick with him? Like, do they want to keep him as that swing tackle now and then draft someone to be behind him or vice versa? Like, that's going to be a big thing because he was that swing tackle until Lyle Collins and Alex Kappa both went down, and they pretty much put him in that position. Also, worth noting, um, before I get into the coaching carousel, I just realized this. So Cal Adamitis and Clark Harris are both free agents. Do you think the Bengals just tell Clark Harris, hey, you had a great one, a great run, 14 years, you were solid, but Cal is the guy. You know, He stepped up for you when you were hurt with a biceps injury. We're just going to roll with him. Or do you see both of them coming back and competing in training camp for that spot? Like, what do you think happens with that? I think yeah, they just stick well, with I mean, Adamitis. Uh, well, you know, I mean, at the at the outset of the year, um, you know, when when Clark got hurt, you know, he said he wasn't going out like that. And, you know, you kind of tend to believe him um, when, he, when he said that. You know, so you, you look at where you can kind of invest. I, I wouldn't be surprised there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they also bring in a punter because um, obviously, uh, you know, Kevin Huber, he'll probably – I wouldn't be surprised if he retires. Um, you know, he kind of hangs it up. So special teams might get overhauled a little bit, you know, whether that's, um, you know, you bring in a whole new long snapper, whether that's you bring, you bring Clark and, and Cal back for another run at it. 
um, whether that's you bring in a punt. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of ways you could take it, but uh, special teams. But, yeah, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if, if Clark and Cal come back and kind of rerun their uh, uh, their training camp battle from this past season. Yeah, and like with Huber, it's worth noting um, he was not resi- re-signed to a future reserve deal. He was one of three special or I'm sorry, one of three practice squad players, including Tyron Johnson and Isaiah Prince, who were not re-signed. I mean, and so that's the thing with Prince is, you know, he's gone too. So you add, you talk about depth. I mean, he hasn't been re-signed to a futures reserve contract. I don't know that they want to bring him back since he didn't really play this year. So, you know, you need more depth at offensive tackle. I think, yeah, you bring in another punter because, like we said, Chrisman's the guy. Um, this was pretty much the parting of ways with Kevin Huber, like, cause he's technically not on the roster as we speak. Um, and unless he goes to another team, gives another try, I think this is it for him. But yeah, I actually, that's a good point. I think Clark Harris definitely meant what he said. So I think him and, and Cal are going to give it one more go. I'd like to think Cal wins that battle because he's younger and he played in almost an entire season, including the playoffs. So I think they'll give it one more go, but I'd say the direction leans in Cal in that instance. Not of the coaching side, all this player talk, free agency talk, signing talk. So just a little update on this coaching carousel. So Brian Callahan and Lou Anarumo, as we both mentioned, the coordinators for the Bengals, both interviewed for the Cardinal, are both being interviewed for the Cardinals job. Uh, today being Wednesday, Lou Anarumo had an interview with the Cardinals. Brian Callahan has that interview for him coming up. And then later this week, he will have interview number two with the Indianapolis Colts for their head coaching job. But when you look at the odds for the next Cardinals coach and the Colts next full-time coach, they are not even anywhere in the top eight amongst, you know, the favorites to be head coach for either team. The favorites for the Cardinals from top to bottom are really Brian Flores, Vance Joseph, and Mike Kafka. And then for the Colts, the top three front runners are Jeff Saturday, who, as you all know, was the interim head coach. Um, <laughs> when you go one and seven in your eight games, I don't know that uh, that's the best way to go, but I get it. He's a Colts legend, so I'm not going to question Jim Irsay, but it's Jeff Saturday, Raheem Morris, and Shane Steichen, and Wink Martindale, I should add, who was the defensive coordinator for the Ravens uh, the year before this year. And actually, Eric Bieniemy is behind them too. That's interesting because obviously Bieniemy, um, I think, was more than capable of getting so many jobs the last two years, but didn't get them. So I'd like to see if maybe his chances increase. But I mean, like I said, you don't have Anarumo or Callahan anywhere on the odds makers list. Do you see that changing, or is this pretty much a sign that they are both coming back next year and Zach Taylor can breathe a sigh of relief? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Uh, it's kind of hard to know what these teams are doing. You know, a lot of them like to operate in, in some sort of secrecy uh, as you relate to a head coach. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that is if that is kind of the direction that they head. Um, you know, Brian Callahan, I know, got called back for a second interview, which, which is important. But at, at this point, uh, it's kind of you would start to think, okay, it looks, looks like the Bengals might be running this coaching staff back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if, if kind of that's the direction, uh, considering how late we are in the process already. Yeah, I think, um, again, it could change, especially because Callahan is yet to have a second interview and Anarumo just had his first interview. So could change. I don't know how much it changes because even with the Cardinals, like the enemy is one of the candidates for that. Byron Leftwich, who was the OC in Tampa Bay, is a candidate. You got Jonathan Gannon in there. I mentioned Steichen. That's another candidate for both the Cardinals and Colts jobs. 
But you know, there's another name we didn't mention that I wanted to get to who's also being considered for an offensive coordinator position, and that's wide receiver coach Troy Walters. Uh, Jonathan Jones from um, CBS Sports said a source told him that he is being considered for the Texans' offensive coordinator job. And that's interesting because, you know, the Texans have officially uh, made D'Amico Ryan's their guy. It looks like they're going to give him a six-year deal. Also worth noting, the other head coaching job that was filled in Denver was filled by Sean Payton. Um, They're going to have to give up some draft capital to get Sean Payton to the Saints. Or I guess, no, the Saints would give up the draft capital, right? It's a, it's a first round pick in this year's draft and next year's draft, right? No, the Saints would not. No, the Saints would get draft capital. Or that's what I'm saying. Broncos. Yes, to get him from, it's been a long, long season. We're still catching up. Yes, they would have to give that up to get him uh, from the Saints. So that's already two jobs down and there's really uh, two more to go. Oh, and also Frank Reich in Carolina. So that job's already taken care of. But yeah, we mentioned Troy Walters being considered for the OC job in Houston. I think that actually might be an interesting fit. I mean, you know, the Texans are kind of rebuilding. Um, D'Amico's the new guy, third coach in three years. They're looking for a new offensive coordinator. Um, and then, you know, like they could draft either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young because the biggest area of need is quarterback ever since Deshaun Watson left. I don't know. Like, could you see Troy Walters being an offensive coordinator in the NFL? Yeah, or is I mean, it too soon? I mean, I think, you know, when you when you look at kind of what this Bengals offense has done, um, specifically the receivers, I think a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are really interested in how they, how they did that. I mean, obviously, I don't want to take away from Jamar and T because they're, you know, incredible talents. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes you, you want to get a guy in a room and, and see what he has to say about, um, you know, about kind of how he did it and, and what his philosophy is on coaching – uh, on coaching these types of receivers and, you know, how he views an offense kind of being led. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, in a scenario like this, I think it absolutely makes sense to, you know, to talk to him about it. I don't know if he'll get it, um, but, you know, just you look at the talent that the Bengals receivers have, have, have kind of played with for the last few years and, you know, the, kind of the progression of Tyler and Tyler Boyd, that is uh, T Higgins and Jamar, like, I, absolutely. I think it makes sense. So, uh, will, will he get it? We'll see. But um, when you have a when you have a talented group like this, I mean, sometimes you just you you want to see what's going on and and see kind of what his secret is. Yeah, and I think obviously you have to remember like who was throwing the ball to Jamar Chase and the T Higgins right. and the Tyler Boyd. That would be Joe Burrow. So obviously he has a role in that, and you know he's you know one of the favorites amongst Zach Taylor's coaching staff. He's talked very favorable of him. You know they had cross paths together when they were both at Texas A&M over 10 years ago. Um, So that's also why he's one of the personal favorites among the many favorites on Zach Taylor's staff. But, you know, you think about it. I mean, you have the two coordinators being considered for head coaching jobs. The Buccaneers made a run at Dan Pitcher, the Bengals quarterback coach, and he ultimately declined because, I mean, he's in a great position being able to work with someone like Joe Burrow. I I think he's comfortable and he's he's content with that. And then you have Troy Walters being looked at for an offensive coordinator job uh, with a team that's in a rebuilding situation. I think if you actually look at this Bengals coaching staff, like there's other names that could be considered either for – position coaching jobs or coordinator jobs like James Betcher, for example, a linebackers coach, you know, it was his first year in Cincinnati, but I mean, he's been through it. Like he was once the the Giants defensive coordinator. So he's been a coordinator before he has that experience. He was with them for two years. 
Um, he was even the defensive coordinator of the Cardinals before that, so he's been a coordinator for five seasons. He was a senior defensive assistant for the 49ers last year, so he was like their equivalent of Mark Duffner for the Bengals, essentially. So for someone who's as young as him, not even 45 years old, I mean, Tom Brady, who just retired, is actually older than him, so very young guy. Um, he's coached at the college and professional level, and I think he – I could see maybe some teams making a run at him. I'd have to see kind of the coordinator openings and coaching openings. But if there's an opening, I could see maybe someone going after him, if not this year, next year. I think Marion Hobby is also another name to look at. Um, he's never been a defensive coordinator at the pro level, but he was a defensive coordinator for Clemson um, with Davo Sweeney. He was also part of that 2016 championship team with Deshaun Watson, he also coached DJ Reader in college, so they have a very good relationship that goes back, you know, over half a decade, um, and it just happened to work out well that they're together again in the pros. Um, I could see him being ran after for some other coaching positions, especially because, you know, he coached with the Saints at one point, he's coached very high at the college level, or who knows, I mean... We're talking about all these pro teams. Like maybe these college teams want to make a run at these guys. Who knows? You know, maybe the the college teams call after Hobby or maybe they call after James Betcher. Who knows? I mean, I'm just going off on a whim here. But it just shows you like, I mean, that's kind of the blessing and the curse of winning is, we know, you know, the, the good side is, hey, you have great coaches. You know, you can keep them for however long and they're going to do the same thing. The downside is, you know, they're so good that everybody's going to want them, not just you. Um, and maybe there's some other names I'm missing on this list. Uh, but I think those are the ones that stick out to me as far as who could get more phone calls, who could be more sought after. Um, I mean, Frank Pollock has coached for over 15 years. He played in the league, but I think he's in a good position in Cincinnati. He, this is his second stint. I think he doesn't really go anywhere. Um, he did a great job in Dallas, Dallas when he was there in you know the mid-2010s, but I think he's set where he's at. But yeah, um, I mean, do do any other names stick out to you just from that list, Andrew, of like maybe guys that could get a call from either the college or pros for any any potential jobs? No, I mean, the only thing I'll add is that, um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, pitcher kind of turning down that, uh, that opportunity in Tampa Bay. Like Mike has brought this up on the podcast before. Like for some of these guys, it's is even if it is a step up, is it a better job? Um, right. You know, it, it has to be the right situation because who wants to step into Tampa Bay? Like who knows what's going to happen right now at quarterback and on offense in Tampa Bay? Like what, what does that Tom team Brady's, look like? He's retired. He's out. Right. So what does that team look like? What is that? What does that unit look like? You know, so you ha you have certainty here in Cincinnati. And I think that that matters a lot for coaches. I agree. And I wanted to end with this, by the way, because I didn't forget about this. I know it's the big talk of the sports world, not just the NFL, but Tom Brady pulled his phone out, made the short video, put it on Twitter. He is retiring. It wasn't a long essay like last year when he retired and then unretired. He retired. He informed the Buccaneers at 6 a.m., uh, according to Jeremy Fowler, I think, who said this. At 6 a.m. on Wednesday, he told them, hey, this is it. I'm done. 23 years. I mean, what? I'm going to be 25 in March, so the guy's been playing football I mean, in the, in the NFL, at least, almost as long as I've been alive. I mean, I remember, like, I mean, I don't even remember his first Super Bowl. Like, that's how long he's been playing, Andrew. I don't remember that first Super Bowl when um, the Patriots beat the Rams in the Superdome. I was, like, three and a half, four years old. Like, even if I was in the football, I'd be too young to remember. But I do remember when I was in kindergarten, he, he won that second championship against the Panthers when they had Jake DeLome. 
beat the Eagles a year later. So, I mean, like I said, I'm 24. I've covered this guy. Like, you know, when we covered the Buccaneers Bengals game in Tampa, like we've covered him. You covered him when he played against the Ravens, when you covered them, but we remember him as like kids. So he's like a central piece of our childhood for you and I, at least because you're 26. And then, I mean, even as being adults, like some of his best performances came when we were like adults. So like, we were spoiled. We were so spoiled. Like we got to see everything from who I believe is the greatest of all time. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. I know people might hate on that, but I think most people would say it. I mean, who's who's won that many Super Bowls? Who's won that many MVPs? Who's put up that many numbers with that many, you know, different players on the same team with the same coach and even until he went to Tampa Bay. And then to do what he did with another team. I mean, Peyton Manning did it with the Broncos, but the way he just went to Tampa Bay at an older age with a quicker turnaround is still more remarkable. Nothing on Peyton Manning, but, like, that's another thing that gives him a leg up as the greatest of all time. I mean, is it bittersweet? Is it – I don't know. It's it's a weird feeling. Like, I'm honestly kind of sad. I think the, the sports fan inside of me is actually, like, a little bit sad, but, I mean, these guys aren't immortal. They're human. I mean, he's going to be 46 – you know, he just went through a rough divorce. I mean, the guy, I think, just wants to focus on himself and live his life. He's made his money. He's won his rings. He's got three young kids. Let him, let him live his life at this point. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, you grow up, you know, in a world with Tom Brady. And uh, I don't know it's if it'll crazy. be weird. Um, I, I mean, he you kind of knew the end was coming for a while, so. Um, yeah, I mean, in five years, we're going to get JJ Watt and Tom Brady going into the hall of fame together. Uh, yep. it'll be, it'll be something. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, JJ Watt just retired. So, oh yeah, they'll both be getting their first bout hall of fame inductions in can. That's going to be awesome. But man, it's kind of like scary because that means like we're getting old now. Like, because at this point, like Peyton Manning's done, Tom Brady's done. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, but it's not like he's getting any younger. He's going to be 40 this year. I mean, Roethlisberger retired last year, so he's done. I mean, that Roethlisberger, Brady, Manning, Rodgers era, it's pretty much over. I mean, even if Rodgers sticks around, it's over. I mean, we just went from that to Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, and I guess you could say Herbert slash – Lawrence at this point. I want to see more from those two before I put them at the top of that list. But I mean, now it's Burrow instead, Allen, Mahomes. We're in a new age. We're in a new era. Like, and it's exciting. I think, you know, it's, it's a different game. The game has changed a lot since we watched Tom Brady, since we watched Peyton Manning. And I mean, Brady was with those changes from the beginning till the end. And he, he went along with it and played better and better, even as he got older, to be honest. So, um, it's a new league. It's a new era. It's a quarterback-driven league, as it's always been, but it's much more driven now as it is with the quarterback. So change is a constant. Change is a constant. And uh, congratulations, TB12. You are the greatest. You are the GOAT. Thanks for all the memories. And might I add, you know, that game in Tampa Bay that we covered, that was my first ever game seeing him in person. I'd never watched him in person as a fan or a reporter, so that was the first and only time I got to see him in a uniform, and so, yeah, I'm spoiled to say that, but it was a blast. But stay with us this week. We're going to talk more about the other names on that free agency list we didn't mention, what the Bengals will have to do as far as tough decisions with the cap, and what 
a Joe Burrow contract extension looks like and what could a T. Higgins extension look like? We'll have all that this week when Mike Nizek joins me. But once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Enjoy the month of February.